Well, good morning, Chili Bible. If you are between the ages of 18 and 25, and you are wondering to yourself, how do I make my life count for eternity? How do I live my life in such a way that at the end of it, it will have mattered? Uh, then I want to invite you to go with me and... Uh, couple of my kids and a couple of other young people down to Louisville, Kentucky, the first week of January for CrossCon 24, uh, which will be um, uh, one of the, you'll have the opportunity to hear some of the, the best music and best preaching and teaching of God's Word that there is available. And it is directed specifically at 18 to 25 year old young people uh, uh, there'll be, I've got one spot left in, uh, in my room for a young man, and I think we've got two spots left for, uh, young ladies, um, but in any case, uh, it'll be a phenomenal time. It may, it may well change the direction of your life, and, um, be exciting to go to. So, uh, if that's of interest to you, see me afterwards. Uh, that that conference is filling up. There'll only be about another 5,000 young adults uh, who will be there, um, and so uh, they do run out of space eventually. Uh, but if you'd like to be among them, uh, see me after the service today, and uh, and we'll talk details and how to get registered and that kind of thing. It'll be a tremendous opportunity. And we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, chapter 1. Uh, we're moving toward the Christmas story. Um, and so if you uh, want to make your way there, let me tell you a story by way of introduction. Uh, once upon a time, a young man and a young woman met and fell in love. And they walked in holiness together throughout their courtship and their engagement because they not only had stars in their eyes toward each other, but they also loved and walked with God and obeyed His Word. And her parents were proud that she was marrying such a fine and godly young man, especially one destined one day to be a spiritual shepherd for his people. Her parents, uh, his parents were likewise beaming over the fact that their son was adding such a beautiful and virtuous young woman to their family. Well, one day, this young couple got married, and they started out their life together. And everyone rejoiced, because it seemed so obvious that God's hand was on this new family. And they all figured that soon, God's blessing on this house would quickly fill it up with babies, and diapers, and laughter. But that isn't what happened at all. The couple remained just as godly and obedient to the Lord as ever, and their love for one another only deepened with the years. But no babies ever arrived. Both sets of their parents went from eager anticipation of grandchildren to disappointed to resigned to the reality that none will be coming. The other women in the village started whispering, well... You know, not everyone who looks good on the outside is really all they appear. I mean, if she was really godly, don't you think that God would have given her at least one baby? 
I mean, isn't that what God does? After all, doesn't He bless godly people with children? But the years passed as they do, and the young wife and the young husband got to where they were no longer young. They had crow's feet and gray hair, and they just kept serving the Lord and holding each other's hands, even though they were both convinced that those hands would never hold their own child. Now, I don't know if that story unfolded in precisely this way or not, but I do know how this story ends. Because it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. We're going to see a portion of the story today, and I think you'll find it deeply encouraging uh, as we think about what it reveals to us about God and how He keeps His promises to us, His people. So if you're able, I'd like you to stand uh, as I and follow along as I read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people. God, our Heavenly Father, as we look forward to Christmas, we pray that you would make ready our hearts and you would make us people prepared. Not just to uh, decorate, not just to eat, but a people prepared for the coming of the Son of God. Father, we know that Jesus has already come once, but he is coming again. Father, I pray that we would make wide room in our hearts for Jesus to take over and to rule and to reign in every part of our life. Father, I pray this morning that as we hear your word, that your Holy Spirit would fill us up with it and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you look at the first section of this story, there's obviously a lot we could talk about, uh, but I want to focus on our attention on the fact 
that God keeps His Word despite fears and despite advancing years. Because when God appeared to Zechariah the priest in this story, it had been many, many years since any kind of thing like that had ever happened. It had been 400 years since the last prophet of Israel, the prophet Malachi. If you look at your Old Testament, the last book in your, in your Old Testament is Malachi. He's a prophet. He writes 400 years before the birth of Jesus. Now think about 400 years, okay? We, we think that 1983 was a while ago. Okay, now I was there. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. We did have actual cars then. Those of you who are curious, uh, the phone was on the wall, um, but there were cars then. We had compact discs. They were a thing. I had some. Um, you know, uh, we had we had actually landed on the moon about 15 years before that, and uh, you know, it was not that long ago, right? But 400 years ago, think about this. 400 years ago, the, the pilgrims were on the Mayflower wearing buckle shoes and funny hats. Okay? 400 years ago is a while ago. Alright? Um, Jamestown was a brand new place. It was not an archaeological site like it is today. Uh, it's a really cool archaeological site, by the way. I've been. You can You can go and you know, see the glass blower in the original restored shop there and do that kind of thing. It's a very cool thing, but it's an archaeological site, right? They're digging stuff up from 400 years ago. 400 years had passed between Malachi and this announcement, and in that time there had been no prophetic word from God whatsoever. Not a bit. No prophet. Uh, no new communication from God, no vision that we know of, nothing. 400 years pre prior to this, Malachi had told them to expect the coming of Messiah and his forerunner, but a very long stretch of quiet had elapsed. In that 400 years, uh, Israel had had uh, three different empires that ruled over them. First the Persians, and then the Greeks, and now the Romans for the last 60 years prior to the beginning of this story. At this point, the people of Israel are just inhabitants of a Roman province. And in all those years, all that time, between the rebuilding of the temple and this day, the Shekinah glory of God's presence never returned to rest over the temple as it had prior to the exile. So I don't doubt that even as God's people obeyed His Word and were faithful to Him, many, many people would have been fearful that no fulfillment of God's promises through the prophet would ever come. Because after all, the years just kept piling up one after another, generation to generation. No new word came from God. No new prophets ever arose, and every day, every week, every month, every year, is just like the one before. So it would have been easy 
to lose hope even as they continue to worship and believe in and serve the Lord. Amen? And in a way, I think Zechariah stands in for Israel in more than just his role as a priest who represents them before God. Because he and his wife were advanced in years. That's the polite way for saying they were past the point where people have babies, okay? Advanced in years. She is postmenopausal, all right? And he is gray headed. Too many years had gone by with nothing. And more than that, when God does send a miraculous messenger, what does he need to be told? Don't be afraid. Right? If anybody tells you that they have seen a vision of God or they have seen an angel and they were not afraid, it is not an angel or a messenger of God that they saw. Okay? I heard a, heard a guy on one of these channels one time talk about how, he, how, how Jesus appeared to him in his bathroom. And I thought, I bet not. Okay, but in any case, he said, yeah, he appeared to me in my bathroom. And what were you doing? Well, I was shaving. What did you do? I just kept shaving. I bet not. <laughs> okay. Um, because every time an angel appears to somebody in the Scripture, the first words out of their mouth of the angel are these. Do not be afraid. Because apparently you need to be reminded of that when this being appears before you in all of its power and glory. Amen? Like, I went to a basketball game one time. Karen and I got tickets to go to a Pacers game. And we were given tickets. so We did not buy these. But at the time, we were in the second row. Right on the floor. Okay? Um, the Pacers were not good then as now. Um but in any, some things do not change, right? But we, we had tickets to go see them play the Toronto Raptors. And we would see these guys that are over seven feet tall who would come and sit like they were two rows in front of us. Okay? We were right behind the benches. And, and by the way, that's a cool experience if you ever get to have it. Like you have your own waitress bringing you food. Uh, you don't have to go to the concession stand and gals come down. It's great, okay? But these guys are intimidating. Okay, I am five foot eight. I have never been mistaken for a giant. Okay, and um, and these guys when they walk by, they're humongous. They have they have fingers twice as long as mine. Like I, when I was a kid, I thought I thought you know, palm basketball that's pretty good. You know, so I can kind of monkey grip it and get a hold of it with my little fingers. But these guys, their fingers go halfway around the ball, so it's no problem for them, right? It's amazing. And and if one of them walked up to me, I would be like, yes, sir. <laughs> right? Whatever you want, sir. Right? When an angel appears, I don't know what they look like, but they are fearsome. And the angel appears before Zechariah as he is in the temple burning incense, and the angel says, do not be afraid. It's a good thing. And why does he not need to be afraid? Because he's about to get not bad news, but good news. Right? He's going to get good news. Look at look carefully at what the what the angel says to Zechariah. First, 
Elizabeth is going to bear him a son whom they are going to name John. They're supposed to name him John. And they're going to have joy and gladness. This is like no kidding, right? People who have wanted a child all their married life and are now too old for it are now going to have a child. What are they going to have? Joy and gladness. Right? They have prayed for this kid their entire married life and now they're going to have one when they're too old to do it. How is that, how is that going to happen? God is going to bring about this great miracle. And more than that, this boy is going to be special. Text says, many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great before the Lord. And then you have this, this comment here, must not drink strong wine or strong drink. And what's that about? Is it because drinking wine or strong drink is, is sinful? No. Uh, the Bible does not say that's a sinful thing to do. Okay, but in the Old Testament there was uh, a specially designated group of people. They were called the Nazarites. And you could take a vow before God, become a Nazarite, and you didn't do. You, you, there were three things you were forbidden to do. One was you, you could not drink wine or strong drink. In other words, anything, any kind of liquor. Okay, no wine, no liquor, no beer, nothing alcohol, nothing alcoholic. Um, uh, you could not cut your hair. Now, as a guy, that's weird, right? Uh, you couldn't cut your hair, and you could not touch any kind of a dead body. Okay, one of the more famous Nazarites in the Old Testament is a guy named Samson, who violated every part of his vow. Uh, that was part of the problem that he had. It was obeying God. He was supposed to obey God. He specially set apart to God, but he wasn't. Um, but the angel is giving... Uh, Zachariah here, a clue. You're to raise this boy as a Nazarite. He's going to have long, funky looking hair, right? He's not to touch alcohol. He's not to uh, go anywhere near a dead body. Even a relative, you weren't to touch their body to prepare them for burial. This was a, a serious thing. Um, you were to be specially set apart to God. And this boy is going to be specially set apart to God. Uh, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. In other words, while the baby is inside Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit will fill this child. That's a special kid. Now, let me explain that to you a little further. There's two things that that tells you. Number one, that God recognizes life while it's still in the womb. Okay? He does. A life in the womb is, guess what? A human life. And on top of that, he is saying, look, um, this kid is going to be unique. Uh, in the Old Testament, before Pentecost happens in the book of Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit came and went on people. He didn't rest on anybody in a permanent way. But uh, even on the prophets, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon Elijah or Elisha and he did the following, right? The, the Holy Spirit is going to rest on John from even before he was born. That's a unique thing. And so he's going to be a very, very special young, young man if he grows up. Um, and he will 
this is important. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, if you don't know your Bible deeply, you may not know this, but that instruction, verse 17, is a reference to the last Old Testament book. Back to, remember what I said it was? Malachi. Chapter 3, chapter 4, talk about the coming of this person who's going to precede the coming of Messiah. So Zechariah is being told, this boy that your wife and you are about to have is going to be the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecies about the coming of the forerunner to Messiah. And if the forerunner to Messiah is coming right now, then guess what that means? Messiah is on his way. Right? All that long wait is about to end. Your boy will be the forerunner, and then Messiah is coming. And his job as he as he grows up will be to be the person who directs the nation of Israel back to repentance, back into relationship with God, so that when Messiah shows that he is embraced and believed in, received and worshipped. So this is amazing news, amen? This is incredible. And you might think that hearing all this amazing news directly from God, that Zechariah would hardly be able to contain his joy. Maybe he'd shout, Hallelujah! And start dancing before the Lord in His temple. Let's find out a little more about how Zechariah does respond. And this is what he says. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home to his wife. So what was Zachariah's response? Doubt. <laughs> Bring up the, the difficulties, right? The two big reasons why this can't happen. Number one, I'm an old man. And number two, my wife is an old lady. Listen, I know you're the messenger of God, but this can't happen. Like biologically, this is not going to work. So I need to explain all the complicated biological realities here. That ship has sailed a long time ago. How does this happen? The angel makes it clear that despite Zachariah's doubt, despite the difficulties involved, that God's word to him is not going to fail. It will come true. And since Zechariah is asking for a sign that these things will definitely happen, the angel Gabriel, who is telling him about it, gives him one. He says, you will be mute 
until the baby is born. You will not be able to talk. But when the baby is born, just as the angel has said, then your muteness will end. How's that for a visible sign of God's promise? At this point, people outside are getting anxious, wondering if something bad has happened. Now, I should tell you this, okay? Uh, according, according to what I understand, when, a, when the priest went in to go and stand before the Lord, that sometimes what they would do is they would tie a rope around their ankle. And you might go, well, why is that? They already had bells around the hem of their robe, so you could hear that he was alive in there, right? But if the bells stopped ringing and you didn't hear anything from the priest for a while, uh, you'd give that rope a tug, make sure he was still alive in there, right? And if there was no corresponding tug back, then they would drag him out, boot up the next priest to go back in before God, right? And they're beginning to wonder, Something bad happened to Zechariah. He's been in there a minute. He was just supposed to go in, burn some incense, and pray for a second. Like, what is he doing in there? And when he comes out, they realize not only is he alive, but he he has had an experience that no one has had in 400 years. And that God has sent a messenger to speak to him. And he he is mute and unable to talk. When he comes out, it's not so, they, they realize that no, it's not something bad that's happened. It's something wondrous has happened. And his muteness is a sign that God is at work again at long last and that no obstacle will stand in his way. Is this a cause for rejoicing for all of them? Because they're like, hey, wait a minute. It's been 400 years since God spoke to anybody and we have just stood here and seeing that God is still speaking. And that God is still working. And that God is still among us. Even though we're a Roman province. Even though the Romans are oppressing us. Even though we don't have our own nation anymore. Even though we don't have our own king. Uh, God is still at work. God is still speaking. His promises are still valid. Amen? And Zechariah then goes home. Let's read about it. Through verse 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What I want you to see here in this part of the text is that God, when he keeps his word, which he does 100% of the time, despite our doubts, despite the difficulties involved, despite however long it's been, God, when He keeps His Word, He replaces our reproach with joy, just as He did with Elizabeth. So what happened? Well, Zechariah went home rejoicing. And he went home to celebrate the good news from God with his wife, Elizabeth, and despite all of his doubts and fears, she conceived. And for five months, she stays away from everyone. Now that's a little interesting, isn't it? For five months. Maybe she is taking the time to prepare for the baby. Maybe she wants to wait until she's pretty sure there's not going to be a miscarriage. 
Maybe she's just waiting to start showing. Around five months that first-time moms start to show that they're pregnant. And maybe she's wanting to be able to walk down to the to the well, you know, and show off that baby bump for the first time. Maybe she just wants to to wait long enough that people know that she's not making up wild stories about being pregnant for the first time at her age. Maybe she's just enjoying an extended sabbatical to worship God. We don't really know her motivations for keeping herself hidden for those five months. But what we do know is that during those five months, she was worshiping God and praising Him for taking away her reproach. In those days, a childless wife was regarded as cursed by God. And they were often scorned by other people as a result. Can you imagine anything more painful than that? If you're a woman who is married. Not only do you not have children, but other people impugn your spirituality and your heart before God as a result of the fact that you're infertile. And it might not even be you. It might be your husband who is the issue. But you're regarded as someone who is cursed by God. So, talk about adding insult to injury, right? But the Lord intervenes in this miraculous way, and Elizabeth's reproach from all her neighbors is replaced with unending joy. Now, I love this story, not only because it shows us one more example of God doing the most unexpected things, but also because I think that in it, there is great encouragement for us. How long has it been, men and women, since Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven? How long? 1,990 years. A long time. About five times longer than the gap between Malachi and Zechariah. It's been a long, long time between Malachi and John. And Jesus hasn't returned yet, has He? Not yet. And that leads the scornful in every generation to mock Christians and to pile reproach on them for their stupid belief that Jesus is ever coming back. Years ago, um, I was a fan of a musician named Charlie Peacock. He's a music producer now, but back then he was a, he was a touring artist with the Charlie Peacock Acoustic Trio. I love to, to go see him several times in concert. And he had a song based on 2 Peter 3. It started, the lyrics start like this. Dear friend, there's a story going around that says you're going to be married soon. But you've been saying that for years. And there can be no wedding without a He's been away a long, long time. Do you have any doubts to confess? 
we wonder if we will ever wear that wedding dress. Dear friends, he is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness to be, keep a watch out and don't do so. He said he will come for you. He is going to come for you. Just wait. Let me read you the scripture is based on knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing following their own sinful desires they will say where is the promise of his coming forever since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing just as they have since the beginning of creation 2 Peter 3. Peter has a long response to that scornful question, but part of it includes these words, Dear friend, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Or to put it in the words I've used here, God will keep His Word despite our fears. Despite the advancing years. Despite doubts and difficulties. And He will replace our reproach with joy. The God who kept all of His promises to His people about His first coming, the first coming of His Son into the world, including the promises about the forerunner that preceded him will certainly keep all his promises to you and me too. Amen? The fact that it has been a while is irrelevant. The fact that we have doubts and fears about his coming is irrelevant. The fact that we are mocked and scorned for our continuing belief in Jesus Christ and in his return is irrelevant. What is highly relevant is the fact of what kind of God there is and whether or not He keeps His Word. And let me just assure you that all all powerful, supremely loving Father, all powerful, supremely loving Father is our God. And He will indeed keep every single one of His promises. So this Advent season, we're remembering how God kept all of those promises in the first coming. Men and women, let me encourage you to let that set an anchor firmly in your soul so that the winds of doubt and discouragement and fear and difficulty, and other people's mocking, and the relentless advance of time do not blow you off. God will keep His promises. He always has. And more importantly, He always will. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are a God who is entirely trustworthy. As the Scriptures describe Your prophets, 
you speak of them and say not one of their words fell to the ground. And that is that is true of them because it is true of you. That you are the God who without fail, 100% of the time, always, always, always keeps His promises. Promises to judge the wicked. Promises to rescue your people. Promises to save by grace. Promises to judge evil. You keep every single one of your promises and Jesus is coming. He who came the first time to deal with sin and set us free from the punishment that we deserved will also come back to bring the kingdom and to deal with sin and evil and wickedness in the world for we Father, we anticipate the day, the great day, when Jesus comes. And no matter how long it's been, no matter how many fears and doubts we have, no matter what difficulties there may be that we see ahead of us, Father, we know Your Word will not fail because You never fail. And Father, we ask that You would encourage Your people this morning with the, with the reality that You are a God who loves them and will always keep His Word. We pray in Jesus' name.